let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Darling. I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb, and it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. It is Pride. We love Pride. It's one of our favorite things. And this Pride, we are celebrating queer culture. Because queer culture is so much more than the people that legislate against us. Queer culture is joy, it's spirituality, it's movement, it's art, it's literally everything that culture is. And honey, we are staying in the joy. For our latest installment, we're exploring gender, sex, and sexuality through the world of Haitian voodoo. Yes, queen. Eziaku Wokocha is an assistant professor at the University of Miami. She is a leading scholar of Africana religions with expertise in the ethnographic study of Vodou in Haiti and the Haitian diaspora. Her new book, Vodou in Vogue, Fashioning Black Divinities in Haiti and the United States, is published by the University of North Carolina Press. Can I just say, Eziaku, that literally gave me the chills. Like, that gave me the chills. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. I'm doing fabulous. And, you know, once you, like, go down my educational background, being at Santa Barbara, Harvard, Penn, and Princeton, Whew. I was like, just, I did that shit. And so I feel, you know, those moments where everything is colliding together and you feel like you're, you are where you need to be. I'm really, really excited. And I'm like, I, I've been about that life. And now I'm like, it's about the time that we get to see, like, everything come to fruition. So I'm really happy. Now, I hate to go off script this early in the podcast, but we're, we have 
I feel that we have this relationship it's, already. It's done. And obviously this is audio, but we can see each other on video right now. And you came to play with these hoops this morning. You are giving <laughs> us brightly colored hoops, y'all. If we could ever get a selfie of you in this moment that we can post on our like Insta stories or like our Instagram so that people can see. I need people to see these. In fact, it's got to be on the feed. I don't know what I'm talking about stories. Someone punched me in the face. But you, these hoops... <laughs> So they're, cause they're giving me like red, orange, like neon yellow. Like, is there a story to these hoops? Like, what are these hoops? Well, these are like African print hoops. And you know what I need to start doing now? Figuring out who the people are and then like start name dropping them because as a scholar of fashion studies, yeah. I actually now need to be like. I, I have a new appreciation for jewelry in the last like year mm. and your hoops are just like beautiful. So that's yeah. all we really have to go off script for at that moment. But I like that. So we set the stage a little at the beginning and I think exploring queer culture through the lens of Haitian Vodou, I'm obsessed. Zooming out a little bit for us to kind of understand what Haitian Vodou is in the first place so that we can explore anything yeah. through it. You write that comparing Haitian Vodou to non-African diasporic religions would, quote, ultimately trap discussion inside old and irrelevant binaries. Slay mm -hmm. to start. Can you share, <laughs> so to start, could you share with us some basics on Haitian Vodou on its own terms? Yeah. Thank you so much for opening up the, the conversation. So I think that you're right, that we need to think about how we're naming this, this African diasporic religion that has made such a wonderful impact on not only the African diaspora, but then also the United States. We need to make sure we just name it that if it wasn't for the Haitian Revolution, part of the Louisiana Purchase and the landmass that the United States was able to grab, the United States benefited from the war. So these places have an intimate relationship, you know, through violence, through racism and colonialization that has a connection. So again, I'm, this is what I'm really excited to talk about. But Haitian Vodou, and again, I'm saying Vodou, V-O-D-O-U, because it is a way that a number of scholars and practitioners have identified how to say the name of the religion that is closely related to Benin, and the fact that there's a separation between Vodou, V-O-D-O-U, versus Voodoo, V-O-O-D-O-O. -O -O. And I want to make sure I'm clear about this, that Voodoo is still being practiced in New Orleans. And there are some Haitian people that still say voodoo instead of vodou. So basically, is it true that like voodoo and vodou, are they like of the same like lineage, but like voodoo is just like, yes. a, it's like almost like a different, is it giving like Episcopal to like, like Episcopal to, wait, no, we're not comparing. Kiss, kick, kick. Yeah. <laughs> ah, you caught it. Ah. But like, let's just think, let's just think about like either an umbrella or an octopus. Yes, I love an octopus. The, like there's a head. I love an octopus too. So it's like, and then it has many branches. And also during, um, back in history for the island of Hispaniola, when the Dominican Republic and Haiti were one, and then it got split and the France took over Haiti and then uh, Spain took over the DR. France and what we know as Louisiana, there was a lot of movement of enslaved Haitians from Haiti to New Orleans and Louisiana proper. So the actual religious tradition of Vodou and voodoo move together. And then, you know, because it's New Orleans and it's in the United States and it has its own new world, then it's changing and adapting to the, the land of the people from the Catholicism, as well as the indigenous people like of the Arawak and the Taino Indians and many American indigenous people that are there. How fucking fascinating. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oftentimes on the pod, I really realize how fucking Midwestern I am and like how much I need to know more about like other people's histories, but just like how inside ourselves we kind of like, cause I didn't go to college like other than like one semester. So it's like, these are things that I feel like I should know. Like when you said Hispaniola, I was like, yes, vaguely. But I really wanted to know, like, even just, like, the origin story and just, like, yeah. on a basic sixth grade level, which, you, like, thank you. I didn't even have to yeah. ask. So it was, like, it was Hispaniola and then, like, Spain took yeah. over the Dominic, like, Dominic mm-hmm. and then France took over Haiti. And then a lot of people are going between Louisiana and Haiti, which makes sense because, like, mm-hmm. aren't they kind of relatively, like, above each other-esque? Like, so yeah. that's that. And so what does this history have to do with colonialism and diaspora? Like laying it in that way. It has everything to do with colonialism and diaspora in terms of we need to think about, and especially when we think about Haiti, and I'm just going to do some basic African and Black history. We know that French, Britain, Germany, Spain, the Dutch, like these um, these are major figures in white colonial powers taking over and separating Africa at large, the continent of Africa, and moving, forcefully moving and removing Black people to the Caribbean and the United States. So when we think about the type of role that colonialism has played in terms of money, labor, wealth that's been accumulated, and the types of people that have been lost, the violence that's happened, the rape and genocide that's been happening with Black people, as well as Indigenous Americans that also got impacted by colonialism as well. There's been a number of violence. So when we think about Haiti proper, Haiti is comprised of a number of people coming from West and Central Africa. So what does that mean? That these people are coming from what we know today as Nigeria, the Congo, Angola, Benin, and then even within ethnicities of Nigeria, the Igbo people, that's where I'm from, I'm Igbo, and the Yoruba people. And so you have to think about these people from coming from West and Central Africa, again, forcefully moved to Haiti, and they're having to work for for nothing and the average lifespan of of enslaved african is up to 33 years so Uh. think about it i'm over 33 and you are like you're you're gone so when we talk about the violence of of colonialism the amount of deaths that that was happening and the forceful movements and and again when we think about france have you you've been to france before Mm -hmm. you've been to france yeah yeah so every time i think about going to yeah going to france and london i always think to myself i'm like the wealth that, that was amassed came from enslaved Africans. And I think about the United States, the wealth that was amassed, um, the amount of labor, these even these institutions that I just named from Harvard, Penn, and Princeton, these institutions have benefited from the marks of slavery. And so when we think about colonialism, the ways that Black people had to think to each other and, and say to each other that we need to like come together, we need to think about how we practice our own African indigenous religions, and we need to find ways to say that we are more than just what you're what you're providing for us and we are humans and we should not be treated like this. And so the biggest thing that that happened in Haiti, one of the biggest things that happened historically in Haiti was the Haitian Revolution. And that was from 1791 to 1804. And that's what I was saying to you, like this revolution really changed the, the ways, really pushed Western European powers to want to recognize that you cannot enslave. Africans and African people, but it also, it caused a rupture of any other type of enslavement that was happening in the United States and other European and African colonies at the time. And so I don't know if you know this, that Haiti's victory over France caused such a rift 
that when Haiti was, you know, moving towards its independence, a lot of the European powers around them did not recognize Haiti until they pay off their debts of the loss of land to France. And so what do we mean by that? We need to think about that. Like there was another war that was happening that just recently happened, and that was the American Revolution. And the American Revolution, we need to think about the fact that the United States never had to pay any debts to the loss of land, the loss of tea to, to Britain. And so the fact that Haiti as a new burgeoning country um, has to pay some debts, it's, it's equivalent to almost a billion dollars. Not to mention that everyone in Haiti was like a formerly enslaved person. Yeah, formerly enslaved or recently free or like they're maroons. So there was like different types of- Marooned? Uh, maroons. What's that yeah. mean? So, so they got like stranded? That, no. <laughs> so those are the people that like never were enslaved. They were, they were hiding in the mountains. They had their own world in, that was not part of like- but they were just like always in the mountains in Haiti? No, these are still black and indigenous people, but mostly black people that like found ways to like not be a part of oh fear the the enslavement that was happening. But yeah, they were like migrating and moving. Were they like native Haitians? When we talk about in native, those are the Arawaks, the Arawaks. Interest. A R A W A K S, yeah, Arawak Indians and the Taino Indians. Those are the main, main groups that were there. And because of colonialization, a number of them got wiped out or, oh. you know, they were intermixing with enslaved Africans. And so imagine like, the population just going down like by a third of its size because of war, colonization and um, violence and genocide, basically. So basically, it's like the U.S. revolution like happens. They don't really have to pay anything back to England. And then mm-hmm. right after that, the... Haitian Revolution happens from 1791 mm-hmm. to 1804, which mm-hmm. I also like cornfield girl didn't fucking know. So basically, like, so what was that revolution about? Like that was like all the people, yeah. like the people in Haiti were like, you're not going to fucking enslave us anymore. Yeah. The, the gig yeah, is up. Yeah, you're not going to fucking enslave us anymore. Yeah, the gig is up. Like this is not, this is not happening. And we are humans. We're people. And we have our own rights and our own freedoms. And like, fuck this shit. Y'all gonna die. And again, when I say this, I mean that very, like, war is bad. War is bloody. And freedom was never given to, to Black people. They had to literally fight and take and take it. So they kick France out. They push a lot of French people out. But there's still some that remained. Mm. Um, but, like, a lot of them were, like, kicked out. And that was in 1804? Yeah. But again, while they were still developing, imagine, like, Haiti, Haiti is now, like, this small country. Small black country that just won a war. You fucked up these mighty European power. Like France is huge. France is huge. And imagine like other European nations wouldn't even recognize Haiti as a nation. But think about it. Would you recognize a nation if the work that you're doing, the way that you're amassing the amount of wealth is on the backs of other enslaved Africans? So like a number of, of people in the South and even the North were like really afraid about the revolution, even in Latin America, like it, it caused a major rupture. So basically blockaded Haiti until Haiti started paying debts to France. And this amount of debt that was paid didn't like end until like the eighties. And so I want to make sure that we're clear about that. Like when we think about when some people have said, oh, Haiti is like one of the poorest country in the, in the Western hemisphere, we need to think about how what type of start that Haiti had to have, what type of wealth that they're able to amass as they're trying to build a new nation. 
versus the United States. So again, when we think about Haiti and the United States, the relationship about how new nations are formed really does dictate the ways that people are not paying attention to who's able to have a, a start, who's able to like fight for their rights and, and see themselves. And again, these are things that are racialized and that we're thinking about how people are seeing someone as a person as well. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them ever take their first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Having built a business or two myself, I know just how difficult the whole process is. But Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Yes! From LLC information to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC information plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash JVN. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash JVN. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. So 1804 to the 1880s or the 1980s, Haiti is making payments. 1980s, for his, yeah. Holy yeah, fuck. 19, so, for yeah, just, and, just, yeah. so for 180 years, Over two, yeah. Haiti mm-hmm, is making mm-hmm. payments yeah. to France. Yep. To, which is much yep. like how in Britain, when they like outlawed the transatlantic slave trade in like 1808, it was the families who were holding enslaved people who got paid off by British taxpayers for quote, like freeing their people or whatever. Yeah. And that, that payment didn't end by British taxpayers until like 2015. And then obviously we know that in America, like formerly enslaved people in America were never given reparations. Like, so in no and no culture, like, were formerly mm-hmm. enslaved people ever given a chance. And Haiti was almost like, or not almost, but like, as a country, dealt with mm-hmm. that collective uh, injustice of the way that, like, the yep. transatlantic slave trade happened, was cultivated, wealth was amassed. And then it was just like, okay, sorry, we're even Stephen. It's not even Stephen. And I want to make sure I say this, like, that the, the amount of wealth is up to, like, $30 billion of today's money. So I kept saying billions of dollars, but I'm like, I feel like I need to make sure I say the exact amount of money of today's dollars. Because again, we need to think about like who, like how many recent new billionaires are. And then think about like, if you're trying to develop a country and billions of your dollars are going to another country, not for your own development, not for your own new technology, new land, new ways of like you being industrious, 
you're just giving it away because you lost. Again, France is are the biggest bullies. And again, the fact that the United States, Germany and other, and other countries decided to blockade, you know, Haiti until they started paying it off. Like we had to think about like basically Haiti was messing up their money. And I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear about like when they talk about payments, just real quick, because I think it's important to know that when I say, oh, they didn't finish paying off or they're still paying till the 1980s. Some people can argue, oh, you know, typically maybe it was 1947 or 1950. But one of my biggest arguments and a number of Haitian scholars have said this and Haitian people have said this today, Haiti is still paying off and still having to be the feeder of, of European and now Chinese uh, power. Banks are now in Haiti. Investments are now in Haiti. The way that Haiti has been stripped of uh, its minerals and gold and the way that aid is coming in and looking like it, this is this is like this is not ended. Well, especially when you think about like generational wealth and how like, you know, Go the ahead. Rockefellers, the Astors, like all these people on the there Gilded Age back in like the 1700s, 1800s, like all those families are still pretty wealthy. And so if you would have had what is equivalent to today, $30 billion, and if even a quarter of that or a half of that had been invested yep. and put in like the National Bank of Haiti and, you know, like everything would have been very different. Like it just not having that mm-hmm. nest egg and having that nest egg robbed for 180 years. Yep. And then, and then you think about like the natural disasters and like the earthquakes, and like the other things that Haiti's been through, like they just, there wasn't even like a rainy day fund, like, cause it was mm-hmm. literally robbed from them in a way that just other countries, like, well, so many other Western countries specifically, like don't understand. Cause they just did not have that yeah. experience on any sort of type of level. And then isn't a diaspora, like, a group of people with shared like culture that live in like kind of spread out. Like they don't have to be in the yeah, same place exactly. that they have, like they share. So basically the Haitian diaspora, like there's immigration, like movement all over. So like the Haitian diaspora is probably like, it's huge. Let's go back to the diaspora. So yes, the, the diaspora, it's a Greek word. Um, it means like the spreading and the seeds of the, the dispersal of, of people. And so when we think about Haiti and the Haitian diaspora, especially when we think about like, what's happening with a nation that has been robbed of, of its resources and, and wealth. There's been a number of people that have been moving and then also just moving in general. So I want to make sure that I talk about some of the horrors and then also people wanting to have new lives and new new spaces. They know somebody, they, they fall in love. There's a number of Haitians in Cuba, Jamaica, Latin America, like you said, the United States, Montreal, basically wherever France has touched, France, of course, Haitian people are there. And then again, this is this is about colonialization in general, about like where people are moving and colonial powers. So for me as a scholar in this book that I bring up, I, I you know, I focus on Mambo Marie Maud Evans, although that she is the center figure and I'm looking at her home in Jacques Mel Haiti and Boston, Massachusetts, or Mattapan, which is the suburbs of, of Boston, I always say that I'm a I'm a scholar of Haitian studies. I'm a, I'm a scholar of African diasporic religions. And especially for Haiti, I've traveled to so many places that Haiti has touched. I've went to Cuba. I've been to Montreal. I've seen ceremonies in uh, New York, both Queens and Brooklyn, of course, Miami, and then even um, nor- Northern California. I can't wait to see something that happens in Southern California. Of course, New Orleans. So I've seen the ways that the religion has expanded and has moved and morphed into different regions. And they all, like the people are practicing in unique ways, but there's still a meta language of voodoo that is that is still universal about like the deities, the ways that things are happening during rituals. 
And so for, for my work, I've been to over 300 ceremonies and I'm so proud to say that, that I was able to see a lot of uniqueness and beauty of Haitian religion and Haitian culture. And so when we talk about the dispersal, we're talking about like how the religion has moved from one space to another and then how sometimes there's, there's been change over time. And then, and most importantly for my, for my book, is to think about the, the ways that individual practitioners, and when I say practitioners, I mean people who practice the religion, have found their uniqueness and innovation in, in religion. Um, so again, that's where my work is, is, is really trying to highlight, is to think about modern con- and contemporary Vodou communities and to celebrate, um, but also tease out some of the, the uniqueness and nuances of the Vodou tradition. Thank you for catching us up on getting us into like, yeah. not even one-on-one. It's like eighth grade level, like, cause we're, cause we're new to it. Outside of Haiti, like where do people practice Haitian Vodou? And even just kind of setting the stage for us on like. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've been to so many ceremonies. I've been to a number of spaces. I met so many beautiful people that I practice uh, Haitian Vodou. And I want to make sure I say this, that it's not only Haitian people that are practicing Haitian Vodou, but I'm also thinking about the ways that the Black diaspora or the African diaspora, when I say this, I mean Black Americans. These are people that are formerly enslaved and from the United States. I'm thinking about uh, people from the Caribbean, from Jamaica, the Bahamas, uh, people coming from Europe. These are all like the central figures that are coming in. And then again, for my own self, I, I consider myself a participant observer, and that's my way of like moving into the space as a ethnographer. And now like I'm Nigerian and first generation Nigerian American. And so there's a way that I was even moving into the space that I found very unique about my own positionality. So like a temple is where someone practices hate or like, well, you could maybe probably do it anywhere, but like, that's like where you like congregate to celebrate and like do yes. like your thing. So this is where the uniqueness lies about Vodou temples. In Haiti, there's people that have like, like they actually make temples, like an actual temple, a physical temple, where they dress and, and have different rituals. And this is where people get initiated. So they have different rooms for people to get initiated in to officiate that they are Vodou practitioners. And then there's also people that have like just a land and where they have this major pole and then this opening, you put ritual objects around it and that's where the spirits are supposed to come out into the world. Or they say come from the ground, from the, the sky, like it's all coming from all these different spaces. Although I'm always focusing on like the spirits and the people and the audience, also nature is involved, the elements of dirt, land, air, water, sea, like all that, all that is in part of the Vodou tradition as well. Sometimes the rooms are very, very small where it's someone's bedroom. So again, I've also been in ceremonies where it's just a few people. Because again, we're thinking about the ways that people are able to practice, who was able to join, who gets invited to these spaces, who feels safe practicing the religious tradition. So you'll, you'll see that there is like pictures and images of the divinities in different spaces. You'll see that there are, um, it's called dropo, like flags that are posted around. It's very beautiful. It's very colorful. And you'll see different like ritual items that are there. I forgot to bring, I was going to bring this like a song so you can see like the sacred rattle. It's very beautiful and colorful and has a lot of beads. So in the United States, Vodou temples can be in the basement. The reason why it's in the basement is that there's, there's a number of people that had to hide their, their religious traditions. And so people had to practice lower. So again, when you think about the drumming and the music, it's like the sound gets confined. And so that's the reason why they're not doing this in their backyard. Mm. And also when we think about the, the ways in terms of structures, 
you need a pole that's called the potomitan. That's like the center pillar. I've also been to places where they rented out community centers or like bigger venues. Or now like we're seeing because of the ways that, you know, we're, we're now seeing this beautiful shift of re- religious openings and acceptance. Again, there's still a lot of work to do. So I'm not, I'm not trying to have people go, oh my God, we're not, it's done, <sighs> it's over. No, there's different homes that still get people calling the cops on um, practitioners for drumming. And even in the United States, especially in New York where gentrification is happening, where rich white folks are moving to black neighborhoods, and that's what's happening in New York and even Miami and even in Boston as well. There's ways that people were playing music out loud and doing stuff that it's it's now been seen as like a hindrance. Like, please stop turning on the music. So you're you're dealing with that as well. No one yells at you guys for your stupid bells at noon. <laughs> your fucking church bells disturbs our shit. Right? No one says anything about that. No one yes. says anything about that. Yeah. You hear a little drumming and then Can't all of a sudden like, it. oh. Ugh. Yeah, excuse me, nine one one. It's just like so much noise. No, <laughs> like, but so, um, you're. I, I'm obsessed voice. with your. I'm obsessed with that. It, you're. It's. It's so good. I feel like that's my voice in regular. So I feel like I didn't even make a transition <laughs> because I'm from California. So. <laughs> <laughs> in the brand new book, Dear By Men. Author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims Bi plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, Navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear Buy Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no. Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. And and the research that we've gotten to do on your work, you, you just can't even talk about your research without talking about who I think you just mentioned, which is Mom, mm-hmm. Mambo Mod. Is that how I say? Yeah. Mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mod, mode. Yeah, and people say mode. Yeah, yeah. Mode. Okay, love. I want to say how yeah. her, we say it correct. Forever. But people have said mod before. So again, like, it's also French. Ah. It's even like mod. Yeah. Oh, you got it. 
You uh, got it. But can yeah. you introduce us to her? Like, what's her story? What is, like, unique about, like, her temples as compared yeah. to, like, other ones? I also want to say that now I am the second person that's ever written on a Vodou practitioner. So, again, when we talk about scholarship, this is this is very, very new. Mama Lola was written by Karen McCarthy Brown. This is written in 1991. This was one of the first books on a Vodou practitioner and also putting on the map to think about the seriousness of, of Vodou religion and also African diasporic religions. I think that what makes my work unique is that I'm able to talk about another population in which um, Haitian people are at. Boston is the third largest population and how they're living and how they're thriving in the United States. And then in case for Mambo Mode, she is moving in, not only having a, a Vodou temple in Boston, but also in Jacmel, Haiti. And Jacmel is about two hours from the from Port-au-Prince, which is the capital. So I want to make sure that we know that the geographic spaces in which we're, which we're aligning in. So again, not only thinking about like what's happening in the United States and the temples in the United States, but also temples in, in Haiti as well. But what is unique about Mumble Mode is that she's exploring the use of fashion. I said this before that my bigger argument is that people are coming in with their uniqueness into the religious tradition. An another uh, practitioner who just who recently passed away, his name was Max Bovar, and he also was a biochemist. So he was like really cool with plants. Like in his Vodou temple, he had over 2,000 species of different plants, and he knew all the species and which plant is going to go for which divinity. So think about that. Like you're using your scientific understanding and the way that you're thinking about like plants and the chemistry behind it and the biology behind it to think about how this is also related to the divine. So that's his uniqueness. So I could have done a project on, on that if I was very interested in that. But what's different about Mumble Mode is out of all the 300, like over 300 ceremonies I've been to, there's a way that Mumble Mode has centered the role of fashion and, and, and clothing as a way to connect the divine with herself and the rest of the community. And so what do I mean by that? In an average Vodou ceremony, there's a way that the drumming, the singing, and the dancing can dictate the starts and stops of the ceremony. But you will just wear like the colors that are associated for the spirits. So we just finished having St. Patrick's Day. I'm going to give an example. That's March 17th. We know that St. Patrick, you know, the lore is that he's the driver of snakes. And, you know, there's also a meta lore about like, was he the driver of snakes or the driver of druid people? Okay. Okay, fine. But during, <laughs> I definitely, I was like, did you know that? Well, like, I was just proud was of like, myself because I was oh, like, yes. I knew that there was something about snakes. Like when you first started talking about yes. St. Patrick's, I was like, snakes. St. Patrick's, and yeah. Like, and then like, you're like, yay. So I was like, I knew. Yeah, yay. yeah. But so keep going. Enough about those fucking Christians. We want to know everything about <laughs> yes. fucking non-Eurocentric fucking traditions. Well, what's interesting about Haitian Vodou is that depending on who you talk to, Catholicism still has played a, a big role in Haitian mm. Vodou. So there's two ways of thinking about the scholarship or the understanding of Vodou, where Catholicism has was relevant and present from the Congo people, and then they came with Catholicism. And again, Christianity and, and religion has been in Africa for a, lo a long, long time. That's interesting, though. Wait, stand by, not to go on a tangent, but like, when did Christianity get to the Congo? Was that like, like it was more giving like like those like Christian wars or something, like in like the 500s yeah, or yeah. something? It wasn't like exactly, exactly. 
if you think about like the way that religion has moved and people move, and this is the role of like Islam as well, like not only has it been from like the Middle East or like we think about like Christianity from like Northern, Northern Africa, like Christianity and, and religion has been always moving. So again, there's different arguments about like whether like it's been from Portuguese influence or whether that like, you know, by people are, that have trained that yes. Christian, Christianity has been a part of about the religious tradition. So forgive me for not no, don't, knowing the don't exact worry. Was, like, I, I come up with such random fucking questions. Like someone like, I like I No, because I think that what's, what you're asking, which is a good question is like, there has been a saying that, you know, Christianity was like forced upon enslaved Africans, which it has, which it has. Because, again, a number of the African indigenous religions have been wiped out and there's been um, a forceful assimilation implication of, of an assimilation. Excellent. Of assimilation of the religious tradition to enslaved Africans, because, again, people are practicing Islam. People are practicing African indigenous religions. And also the good word of mouth, like that word of Jesus, honey, like there was like, cause everyone loves a good rumor. Cause they, they get, but it got all the way down there, honey. Like it kind of did it on its own. Yeah, some so, people were like feeling it in Africa. Like it wasn't voiced upon them. Like some were like, we're down yeah. with him and we love Mary. So, but so there is that stream, but then there's also. The voiced, voiced upon them. Yeah. Both. What we're learning too, is that there is different narratives that have shaped and have impacted the religious experiences of black folks. Yes. And so what I love about what you're asking is like just the timeline of that and like how like when people were coming or forcibly coming to, to the United States, they were still carrying their religious beliefs of also um, African indigenous religions, of Christianity, as well as Islam. But again, because the French, the Catholicism was still a, a driving factor, people were forced to hide their indigenous religious practices into Catholicism. So when I was bringing up St. Patrick, there was another spirit, um, this African indigenous religion that's coming from Benin. His name is Dambala, and that's like the serpent god and serpent spirit, and also the spirit of wisdom. So like, there's been like, not the same in terms of like what has happened, but like similar maybe images, iconic images, or like maybe what the saint has done that has had a connotation with it. And, you know, and if you go to a Catholic church, you might see some Haitian people there. You might see people that are like, oh, you know, do you think they're going to church during St. Patrick's Day for Catholicism? And they're like, no, I'm also thinking about Dambala. So the African indigenous religions, as well as Catholicism, is always playing hand in hand. That makes so much sense. Right, right, right. So the reason why I'm bringing that background up is because, again, I want us to think about the ways that in this time, in this modern time, that these religious practices are still are still happening. And again, for my work, I also talk about the ways that like the different types of cloth is also very important. So Dambala is seen as this old regal spirit. And for his case, they're giving him lace, beautiful satin. And so again, these colors of white and green that is used to, to attract Dambala. And like in comparison, there's another spirit. I'm just getting this for context. There's another spirit named Azaka that is a spirit of um, like this farmer spirit. And he's a spirit of agriculture, of wealth and abundance through like food. And you will not give Azaka um, lace. He's a farmer. So what are you going to give him? Think about it. like, what, what would you give a farmer? Like giving burlap or something? Like a strong sack? But yeah, he has a satchel, a, a makut. Yeah. So again, clothing and the types of clothing and cloth is also very important. You're giving him cotton. You're giving him like plaid. There's also another meta language with the clothing. And again, if I went to another ceremony in Brooklyn or Miami, 
people would come in with just wearing green and white already to honor the spirits. And the ceremony would have began and continued with just, just like you have the clothing, you have outfits, and then that's it. And again, like I said, the drumming, singing, and dancing would dictate the starts and stops of the, of the ceremony. But for Mumble Mode, because she's not only a voodoo practitioner and, and a voodoo priestess, and again, part of her job is to think about healing and rituals to help aid healing for like people that, are, that call on her for the community members and clients that ask her for aid for like wealth or for healing. She's also a mental health clinician. So she got, she's gotten her degree from Leslie University. And she is also a trained fashion designer. And she also has a degree in economics. Sometimes there's a bigger, there's another argument about Haitian vodou only being for poor, poor people. And again, remember I, we started off talking about like the reasons why there's, there's a number of wealth disparities with, with Haiti. But again, what I was trying to showcase is that many people coming from different economic uh, backgrounds and even educational backgrounds are pra- not only practicing, practicing Vodou, but they're thriving in Vodou. And when I say thriving, I'm, I'm meaning that there's been people that, have, that are working class and upper middle class. Um, they're politicians, nurses, doctors, lawyers, other professors, um, they're janitors, they're teachers. So again, there's we're thinking about different types of class and world economics that the people are participating in. So for Mama Mode, she's highly educated. And as a trained fashion designer, the spirits spoke to her in a way that she can use her fashion. So remember for Max Beauvoir, Max Beauvoir was using his, his trained biochemistry to think about plants and species to honor the spirits. But for Mumble Mode, she's not going to do biochemistry. She's not a biochemist, you know? So she's using fashion. So she's had dreams where the spirits have told her to dress better. And you're going to like, you're going to look the part because you are Guo Mambo. And that's a that's Haitian Creole for a big mambo. And you need to look good. Don't you embarrass us. And so, so for Mambo, she a bad bitch. She'll, she'll come in. And she'll start off with one outfit. She'll wear like just white. And then after that, there will be a change in the ceremony where there's like a, this, a, a pause. And then she'll come back and wear another dress. And that dress is even more elaborate with greens, whites, uh, yellows that like showcase like it's even more glamorous. So for her, she's really centering the stage of thinking about the way that fashion can really illuminate beauty, glamour and connection with the spirits. But also, there are other people that are wearing the same dresses that she's wearing. And then we're seeing a community change of clothing that has now like other people in the community, other practitioners wearing the same dress that adds even more glamour and beauty. So imagine like this is where, and I was just seeing this because Mama Mode also has like YouTube um, on Facebook. I've watched how people like then also the audience have gotten so excited because now she's been doing this for over 20 years now, 30 years. 25 years? Yeah, almost up to 30 years now. And people have gotten so excited. They're like, I wonder what she's going to do next. She doesn't tell people, like she tells the, the, the community members, like she gets their sizes for their outfits, but she has her own seamstress. She has like a whole team, not only from the seamstress, but also people picking the fabric for her, that it's like a whole, a whole production. And what is important to know about Mama Mode is that when we think about Louis Vuitton, when we think about like Nike, there's like these symbols that you know that these are these are for Nike or McDonald's, like the big M, the arch, you know. Um, Mambo Mode has her own uh, Vodou fashion 
that now has become the mumble mold line, you know, that when even when I've traveled to Port-au-Prince, other space, other voting ceremonies in Boston and in um, New York, I could actually see the mumble mode impact. I call it the mumble mode effect. So I again, for my bigger argument, I'm really trying to see and showcase the that how Vodou is always changing, is dynamic, it's never been, it's never been static. And what we can learn from African diasporic religions is how we're thinking about the ideas about what is happening with gender, like the fact that she's wearing dresses, and then sometimes she wears like pants and suits. So that's very different from the standard traditional way of doing practicing Vodou. And then also what types of people um, and gender and racialized and sexualized people are a part of the Vodou ceremonies. So this is what my work is doing is trying to illuminate and it's trying to capture the the uniqueness of the religion, but then also thinking about these bigger arguments about how people are practicing and being inspired by the spirits. You really like tore my lid off of interest and like I knew I was like interested, but now I'm like... You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guests and their areas of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend, honey, and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at CuriousWithJBN. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Chris McClure, with production support from Emily Bosick and Julie Carrillo. Hey.